going to talk to us this morning about um, being children of promise. And I want to link that with the priesthood of all believers. So the children of promise and the priesthood of all believers. I'm going to be reading from Romans chapter 9. And in Romans 9, Paul is grieving over the hardness of heart of the people of God. That's the Israelites, his countrymen. Um, And in the first part of chapter 9, he's talking about all the benefits, all the blessings that God has given the Israelites. He said, they, to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the <clears throat> patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. And listen carefully what he says here. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. So, we understand, it kind of goes in my mind with um, Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And so it's the kind of thing that it's not the label that we wear that's important. It's the relationship that we have. That's a living relationship. And so he's contrasting two things here in Romans chapter 9 in association with children of Abraham. He says they fall into two categories, children of the flesh and children of the promise. And only the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Well, if we look, how many kids did Abraham have? How many kids did Abraham had? He had eight. Eight. So we know about some of them, or, or we're familiar with some of them. The others were not so much. But he had eight children in all. Um, the first one, because there was a, a misinterpretation of what God intended to do, and he had Ishmael uh, by Hagar, his slave. Then the child of promise, the thing that God had intended all along, was he had a son by his wife Sarah, and his name was Isaac. And then after Sarah died, Abraham lived another 36, 37 years, and he remarried a woman by the name of Keturah, and he had six children by her. So he had eight kids in all. Now the thing was, um, Ishmael was not the child of promise, and so he was sent away. And none of the six children by Keturah were children of the promise either. And so they were given uh, part of the, um, a share of the inheritance, and then they were all sent out as well. There was only one child of promise. So what does that mean, that... Uh, that God loved Isaac and, and didn't care about the rest of Abraham's children? 
Oftentimes, that's how it's interpreted, and that's what we think. But if you read Genesis carefully, you'll find that that is not the case at all. There is a difference between being a child of the flesh and being a child of the promise. But it has nothing to do with God's love and provision for those people. It has everything to do with God's calling and God's blessing. So there are children of the flesh in Ishmael, if you'll read in uh, Genesis chapter 16 and chapter 21 and chapter 17. And it tells you all about what was going on with that. But I want to read a, a short passage from Genesis 17. This is when God is letting Abraham know that Isaac is going to be the promised child. He hadn't been born yet. Uh, and Ishmael is not that child of promise. So we're in chapter 17 of Genesis, starting with verse 18. And so God has told Abraham he's going to have a child by Sarah. And he's questioning that because he's 100 and uh, Sarah's 90. And they haven't had any children all their long married life. And so Abraham says, verse 18, Abraham says to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Okay, so that's done and dusted, right? Uh, Isaac's the one. He's going to be the child of promise, the child of covenant, the child of blessing, all of which go together. As for Ishmael, God says, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. It's not that Ishmael doesn't count. It's just he's not the chosen one. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. If you look uh, years ahead, when we're dealing with uh, Keturah now, this is in Genesis 25. And after he's listed all the names of the six children born to him, in Genesis 25, verse 5, Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts and while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. So it's not like they don't count. He's giving them gifts. He's giving them blessings, but he's sending them out. These are not children of the promise. These are children of the flesh. Isaac is going to be the child of the promise, the child of the covenant, the child of the blessing. So what's he talking about here? What is the promise that he's talking about? Way back in Genesis chapter 12, when God was first calling Abraham, um, he was a Chaldean. He, he lived in the area of Babylon. And God called him and sent him on a pilgrimage, a journey. And he went um, from Babylon down in modern-day Iraq and he went up the Tigris-Euphrates River, went over into modern-day Turkey to a place called Haran, a major, major city, 
transportation center and they stopped for a while and Abraham's father died there and then after that God said I want you to go to the place I'm going to send you I'm not telling you where it's at you just go I'll tell you when you get there and so he did but this was the promise that he gave in Genesis chapter 12 go from your country from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. He's a man of promise now. Promise of a land, promise of a nation being formed of him, promise of a blessing and a covenant, and a promise that through him all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's not that God chose Abraham and said forget about all the rest of the people in the world. That's not what it was. The promise is I have chosen you. You are the, the man of promise and your descendants are going to be children of promise and through you all the rest of the nations in the world are going to be blessed through your descendants. That's the promise to Abraham. He repeated that promise to Isaac. He repeated that promise to Jacob. He repeated that promise to Solomon. And when Paul begins to talk to the Gentiles, this is his rationale for going to the Gentiles. He had a scriptural basis for going. So if we read in Galatians chapter 3, Paul is telling us what he's doing here. Starting with verse 8. Well, let me back up to verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, which is what he said in Romans chapter 8 that we read, uh, Romans chapter 9 that we read earlier. Children of the promise, children of the flesh. It is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. He says it again in verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. He says it again in verse 29. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. If you have accepted Christ by faith, you are a child of promise. You are the the living out of this promise that God gave to Abraham 2000 BC and you are a living example of God's faithfulness to that promise what God promises he will do and continue to do in the gospel of John again we're looking at the difference between child children of the flesh and children of the promise that Paul talked about in Romans 9. In John chapter 1, talking about the coming of Jesus, he makes this statement. 
um, starting with verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own people, his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So receiving him, believing in him, then he gives the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And so this is why Jesus talks to Nicodemus in John 3 about being born again. So I want to see the hands of anyone in this room who has not been born. How do you know you're born? Do you remember it? No. Now there are some folks who make a big deal about um, being born again, and they need to, and they say you have to have an experience, personal experience of being born again, and that's true for most people. There's a definite time and place, but it's not true for everybody. And they say, well, if you can't remember a definite time, you must not be born again. I don't care what your relationship is or how God is using you. <laughs> so I look at that person and say, well, can you remember when you were born? <laughs> How do you know? Well, I'm here, aren't I? I mean, you can see. Yeah. So those who are born of God, you can see as well. Relationships there. So <clears throat> it's a matter of the walk with the Lord. Jesus said you're going to tell people of the flesh or people by the of the promise by the fruit of their life. Look in their life. Look at their character. Look at the way they live. Uh, <clears throat> and so the Lord is calling us, okay, you're either children of faith or children of the flesh. <clears throat> it's not that the children of flesh don't count. They're just lost. And so God has done something about that, hasn't he? So Jesus talks to Nicodemus and he says, you've got to be born again. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is, is spirit. Do not believe, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. And then he talks about how God the Father has sent him, Jesus the Son, that those who have faith in him shouldn't perish but have eternal life. And that's why Jesus has come. And so it's, it, it's important. Peter picks up on this in the letter that he wrote. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, he talks about, by the grace of God, we have been born again into a living hope. And in verses 22 through 25 of 1 Peter 1, he says, we've been born again through the living and abiding word of God who is Jesus Christ. So those who have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, 
those who have been born again, these are the children of promise because this is the promise, the promise of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. It's the promise that the blessings of God will be upon us. And so through us, as a conduit, uh, as a channel, God's blessing is to flow on everyone around us. God didn't pick Abraham because he was a better man than anybody else. He didn't pick Abraham because God liked him better than he liked anybody else. Uh, he picked Abraham to say, I'm going to take this guy and his wife Sarah, and of these two, I'm going to create a people of faith. That's what he's about doing. People who know who God is, people who understand and live that relationship and people who can share that relationship with everybody else. Because the purpose and the promise is, through you and your descendants, the whole world will be changed. That's the promise. So the blessing is not an end in itself. The covenant is not just for us exclusive of anybody else. What did Peter say on the day of Pentecost when he was preaching to the people of Israel there. The promise is to you and your children and to your children's children to as many as the Lord our God shall call. In Christ Jesus, God is calling everyone to accountability. And he's calling us, children of promise, to be the instrument of that call. So... There's a problem, though. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1, Isaiah cries out, Who has believed what he has heard from us? Or in King James Version, Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord been revealed? Because the Messiah, Isaiah says, is going to spring up like a root out of dry ground. Ever seen a root come up out of dry ground? It doesn't look real nice, does it? <laughs> no comeliness, no form, no beauty that we should desire him. Matter of fact, we thought he was under God's curse. Who has believed that God has taken a man, this person of Jesus Christ, and made him to be the salvation of the world. Well, this question that Isaiah asks is picked up in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 38. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 10, verse 16. It's an ongoing question. Who has believed our report? Now, the idea is that the report is being given, isn't it? Because he's going to say in Romans 10... How can they believe in someone who they haven't heard? How can they hear the message unless someone goes to them? That's what the children of promise are for. To be the messengers. So we have been born again, born of the Spirit. In John, 1 John chapter 3, John says, 
Behold, what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the sons of God, the children of God. But that's what we are. And then later on he says, now we are the sons of God, the children of God. We, we're not sure exactly what that's going to end up looking like, but we know that when Jesus has appeared, we will be like him. We'll see him as he is. And as we see him as he is, then we begin to really and fully understand what we're supposed to be and what we've been living toward our whole life in increasing measure. And how do we know that? We have been, how do we know that we're children of promise? It's like asking, how do you know you've been born? Well, God doesn't just leave us wondering, does he? He says it in Romans chapter 8. He says it again in Galatians chapter 4 that when a person comes to know the Lord, it's the activity of the Holy Spirit convicting that person and bringing him or her to a position of receiving by faith what Christ has done for us. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It doesn't end there. Once we have received Christ into our heart, Paul tells us in Romans and Galatians, that the Spirit of Christ comes into our hearts and cries out, Abba, Father, letting him know that we are his children. It's not a question. It's a fact. After the baby has been born and they hand the baby to you, it's not a question of whether the baby has been born or not. He or she is there. <laughs> you don't have to question it. Did I really have a child? I don't think so. You know, you know, right? And so the Holy Spirit comes and bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And God has given us the promised Holy Spirit as a down payment, a guarantee of what is to come. He says, this is just the beginning. You think this is great. Remember if you had an experience of accepting Christ as Savior. Remember what it was like. Remember it. Remember it. You know, some of us, they needed to lock up for a while. <laughs> we were so excited and so on fire, and we, were, we didn't care who knew it. Matter of fact, we wanted people to know it. We became obnoxious sometimes <laughs> to tell people who didn't want to care, who didn't want to hear, and didn't, want, didn't care. And we told them anyway. <laughs> and um, the Lord says, that's just the beginning. It gets better. We thought it kind of gradually faded away and we became more mature and more so. Uh-uh. It gets better. So why settle for mediocre? Why be lukewarm when you can have the fire of the Spirit of God in your life on a daily basis? That's why Jesus is talking. That's why he came. So Paul, um, so John writes... In 1 John 5.13, I write to you, little children, that you may know that you have eternal life. Not a question. How do we know? Because God's given us of his spirit. So Peter, Paul, John, are all saying the same thing. We are children of promise. In John chapter 8, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my teaching, then you are my disciples. 
And then you will be set free. The freedom comes through the abiding. The abiding is living. If you live my teachings, in other words, it's not just, it's not a head test. It's not an academic thing. It's not a Bible quiz or Bible trivia test. It's not one of those things. What he says is, if, if God's teachings, if the word of Christ lives within us, how does it live in us? If we put it into practice, is what he's talking about. If we live it out on a daily basis, that's where the freedom comes. It doesn't come through knowing that we've been set free. It comes through living the freedom. And they put Paul in prison. He spent, well, he was in and out of jail, but for the right reason. And he was in prison in Caesarea for two years. He was in prison for two more years in Rome. But he was the freest man there because he had been set free. So who has believed us? And then Paul writes in Galatians 4. So Jesus is telling, if you believe me, you have the right to become a child of God, a child of promise. The children of promise live the promise. Paul's concerned about the, the Christians in Galatia. And I want you to think about it for a minute, who he's writing to. Paul is writing to the church in Galatia. It's a whole series of churches in that area. It's like a province. And he makes this statement in chapter 4, verse 19. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Oh, wait a minute. Hadn't they accepted Christ? Hadn't they been born again? Aren't they uh, at great cost and sacrifice? Aren't they the church and the churches of Galatia? Yeah. But they're not living it out. They've had an experience, but they're not living the experience. They're not walking in the freedom that Jesus promised to those who put into practice what he has taught us. And so they've moved from being children of promise back into being children of the flesh. And Paul says, I've got to go through the anguish, the pain, the suffering of rebirth to get you back on track. So have we moved from one to the other? The Spirit of Christ in us is he crying, Abba, Father, in your heart and life this morning? Do you, have you received the promise, seal, guarantee of the Holy Spirit? And is he active in our lives this morning? Well, what we find later on is that same thing as we started with. The covenant, the promise, the blessing all go together. We're going to have communion in a minute. Um, and Jesus is going to say, this is the blood of the new covenant. A new relationship with God. It brings with us the fulfillment of the promise of God for eternal life 
for peace with God, for sins forgiven, for hope that there is life everlasting. It's the opening up of the heart and awareness and acknowledgement of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God in our lives. And then the blessings come. But the blessings are not just to be received and hoarded. The blessings are to be received with thankfulness and praise and passed on. Because God intends for there to be a continuous flow. What, how did Jesus say? What's going to characterize the people who are filled with the Holy Spirit? Streams of living waters flowing out through the other person. Not lakes. Not ponds. Streams. Rivers. Living things. Ever fresh. Ever new. Ever more life-giving. Flowing through. Doesn't, doesn't stop. Flows through. So what's God's purpose in calling Abraham and creating a people of God? In Exodus chapter 19, just before he gives the Ten Commandments, he's talking to the people. Verses 5 and 6. Now therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, says God. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. You will be to me a kingdom of priests, a treasured possession, a holy nation. That's the call of Israel. Now Peter picks up on this in 1 Peter chapter 2 and he makes the application to the church. And he says in verses 4 and 5, as you come to him, he's writing to Gentiles mostly, as you come to him a living stone rejected by men but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then later on in verses 9 through 11, he says, but you are a chosen race, Christians, a royal priesthood. This is who you are, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we are a royal priesthood, priesthood of all believers. You are a child of promise. Once you had not obtained mercy, now you have. You are God's own possession, his treasured possession. Why? So that you can proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Out of darkness into light. You are the witnesses. And that's why God was creating a people of God, not to be an exclusive um, old boys club. You know, it wasn't that. It was to be 
the instrument of God's blessings upon the whole earth. God told Adam and Eve in the garden, before sin had ever entered in, I want you to fill the earth, take dominion over it, and subdue it. I want you to take the Garden of Eden and extend it till it encompasses the whole world. That's your job. Make the whole world like the Garden of Eden. And God is saying to us today, I want you to take the whole world for the kingdom of heaven. You are the instruments. You are the priesthood. Why does God need a priest? Jesus is our high priest. One sacrifice offered once for all. But what does a priest do? Well, they offer sacrifices. And they offer up prayers and intercession. Um, So in saying this, the, in Psalm 141, verse 2, he's talking about our prayers. In Psalm 141, verse 2, he says, Let my prayer rise as incense. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice his prayers that he's offering up to God as a sweet smell in Genesis chapter 8 after the flood Noah first thing he does when he gets off the ark you know God said two of every animal male and female except for the clean animals the clean animals, you take seven. Why? Well, partly because they're going to offer some of them as an act of worship to God. First thing Noah does when he gets off the ark, Noah built an altar to the Lord, took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease as long as the earth remains. So the sacrifice that he prayed was a sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise, a sacrifice of faith that he offers on the altar and it's like a sweet smell to God and he accepted that and later on as Abraham believed God God accepted that sweet act of faith and counted it as righteousness for Abraham in Revelations chapter 5 it talks about the prayers of the saints being offered on the altar of incense in the heavenlies and the aroma, the fragrance grows up. So what is he talking about? These sacrifices and offerings. What is our priesthood as believers? Read two, more, two short verses. Second um, Corinthians chapter 2. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance 
of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? So God says, or Paul is saying here, that we are the aroma of Christ to God as we spread the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ to those around us. Through your descendants, you and your descendants, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. It's the sacrifice of laying down our lives in witness to the Lord. And Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 12, which we're familiar with. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And then he describes the rest of chapter 12 of Romans as what that looks like in everyday things. Uh, valuing other people more than ourselves, Serving one another. Using our gifts for the glory of God. Loving one another. Don't be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Constant in prayer. Seeking to meet the needs of people around you, blessing those who persecute you, rejoicing with those who rejoice, praying for those who curse you, and blessing them in the name of the Lord. And what is the result? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's the sacrifice. That's the offering. That's the priesthood. That's the aroma that God wants from us. Our prayers that are offered up in faith um, the prayers that Jesus prayed were the prayers of God the Father talking to God the Son. God the Son talking to God the Father. It's a communication that has no beginning and it never, ever ends. And when Christ is in your heart, that communication is still going on. And God will tell us what to pray for and how to pray because we don't know and we get it all mixed up, don't we? But the Holy Spirit, children of promise, he speaks to. And he will tell us how to pray and what to pray. And sometimes there are hard prayers. Sometimes there are things that the flesh cries out against. But there are prayers that are powerful to the pulling down of kingdoms because they're the prayers that's going on between the Father and the Son. So we are the children of promise. That means we are the priests of the living God and we are the, the conduits of God's blessing. We are his witnesses. And Paul writes and he says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And God has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Christ in us, calling the world, be reconciled to God. Priesthood of all believers is for every child of promise. And that's who we are. So not exclusive, inclusive, 
not in word and not in labels, but in a living relationship where there's communion and communication this way with God and this way with each other and into the world. Not isolated, not a fortress mentality, but a conquering mentality um, to go out and bring them in. All the nations of the world to be blessed through you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for such a high and holy calling. We thank you for the great and precious promises that bring us into the kingdom and your great love expressed through your Son and through the gift of your Spirit that speaks to us about life and peace and wholeness and strength and courage. And we pray, Lord, that the gifts that you give would be used for the glory of Christ. And that as we go about our daily lives, we will be living out, abiding in the living word of God, which is our life and our hope for eternal life. So Lord, thank you for calling us. Thank you for the opportunities for open doors. Thank you for people in our lives, other children of the flesh who need to become children of promise. I pray, Father, that you would anoint us anew and afresh. Equip us, enable us, open our hearts and our eyes and our hearts that we might receive and might give freely from all the blessings that you pour upon us. We ask it in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.